Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Sixty second hour is here. The crew is here as well. World Series tonight. First pitch, what, just after 7-10 or something like that? Central on it Fox? It is at 7-09 Central. Oh, 7-09, exactly. 7-09. 7-09. Braves Get it right, honey. Astros. Come on. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Braves at Astros. We'll turn it on. We'll turn, at we'll some turn point. it on. Yeah. And, we might, and I, I'm not going to speak for Hutton, but I'll probably turn it off at some time. Then I'll turn it back on. No, I'm, I'm in for the World Series, no matter who's playing. I feel like Paul's going to be one of those people that he's just going to cheer on whoever's losing. Like, you're, you're going to be fine whoever loses in the end because you're going to love making fun of either side of the losing no, equation. I don't, want, I don't want the Astros to win. I, I'll admit I'm having a hard time getting on board. But you will quickly make fun of the Braves board. if they're losing. I'll have a hard time getting on board rooting for the Braves, but I do not want the Astros to win. J.P. Aaron Sibia joins us, uh, and he'll be in studio with us tomorrow to recap Game 1, preview Game 2. J.P., nationally, um, and you can speak to the, the players as well, are they on Atlanta's side here? I know you are. Are they on Atlanta's side here because the Astros are the, the other team uh, across the, the diamond? Yeah, I would say that, that the Atlanta Braves are – probably the favorite for the majority of the guys, especially, I think everybody, you know, they're underdogs. They were plus, I think it was 1100 at the, at the start of the playoffs to win the world series. So everybody loves a good story. Everyone pulls for Freddie Freeman and Snitker, but also, like you said, you look across that diamond and you see the Houston Astros, everybody knows about uh, their scandal. And uh, so I think a lot of people want to see them uh, not win. But the stretch that they've been on uh, Houston, Describe how they've built their organization, what their third World Series over the past five years, going for their second title in the last, what, half decade. Uh, what a run they've been on, despite the, uh, the, the the cheating here. I want to point this out, but it was a slap on the wrist other than the manager and the GM. Uh, let, tell me your thoughts as a former player on what they've been able to accomplish. Well, one thing is that they've been able to grow from within, right? You look at the the homegrown guys, the Tucker, the Correa, the Altuve, the Bregman. They haven't really missed on draft picks and also international free agent signings. Look at Jordan Alvarez. I mean, this dude has been unbelievable. They've developed guys phenomenally through the minor leagues to get to the big leagues. And then I think, honestly, you know, you look at pitchers that have gone to Houston analytically, their database, however they have guys – pitch and and utilize their stuff they utilize it at a, at a high level and they continue to get better so i think you know along with some free agent signings uh i think dusty baker was awesome can he win his first wing ring obviously he's been around for a long time i think that was a great hire for the team but that's one thing that the, the astros you got to look at it that homegrown you know talent which the braves have that as well and if you you know you start to look at it both teams have that homegrown position player talent because it's becoming crazy in the market. So when you start to see these teams, they realize, you know, look across the field, you have a Dansby Sonson who was a, you know, 
high pick, the first overall pick. You have, um, excuse me, Ozzy Albies, who's an international signing, Acuna. You have all these kind of, obviously, Freddie Freeman, everybody knows he's Mr. Brave. You know, you start to see all these guys, Soroka and a Max Free, that have come through organization. You have to build from within. Well, speaking of homegrown talent, the Braves drafted Charlie Morton, who's their starter tonight, but he didn't become a star with the Braves. They, they trade him away. He goes to Houston, has some great postseasons there, goes to Tampa, has great postseason also. Now he's back with the Braves. I love this pitching matchup tonight. Charlie Morton versus Valdez. A little bit of uh, experience versus youth. I know Valdez is 27, not the youngest, but still a lot younger than Charlie Morton. What do you think about this pitching matchup tonight, JP, when you look at these two? Well, Framer Valdez just came off a, an unbelievable start, and he's got great stuff. It's the breaking ball for him that really separates him apart. Uh, Charlie Morton, the one thing I do like is all the righties in the lineup. You start to look at, a, at the Bregman, the Guriel, the, the Correa, the Altuve. There is a lot of right-handed hitters, but Jordan Alvarez – uh, you know, obviously was the MVP for them in the last series. So you start to think, I like the matchup of Charlie Morton versus the Houston Astros. They don't strike out a lot. So we'll see how that goes. You got to pitch the contact as a team that struck out less than anybody in Major League Baseball. But I think that Charlie Morton, all those righties in that lineup, Charlie Morton really is a, is a tough pitcher. And if he gets that breaking ball going, especially with that fastball, he can get it up to 98 miles an hour. I think it's going to be tough to beat a Charlie Morton. Former Major League catcher J.P. Aaron Sibia with us, uh, part of the Marlins broadcast team. J.P., um, if you were calling this game behind the plate, how would you call and pitch to Eddie Rosario? You know, there's there's one thing I would do before the game. We sit down with the pitchers and we say, guys who can't beat us, right? And you start to think about who are the hot guys in the lineup? Who are the guys that are swinging the bat? Well, I think either team, you just sit down and you go, well, Jordan Alvarez isn't going to beat us and Rosario's not going to beat us. And how sneaky of a pickup that's been, right? We talk about Jock Peterson and, and Soler, but Rosario, I mean, he's setting the world on fire. I would just make sure that we have to make him uncomfortable in the box. When a guy is going good, what I mean by that is, first, like I said, we don't let him beat us. So if he's with anybody on, you stay away from him. You make sure that you get to that next guy. But you got to throw the ball up and in. You got to make sure that he is not comfortable. He seems way too comfortable in the plate. Obviously, Framber being a lefty, run that ball up and in, stand them up a little bit, maybe double it up in there to get to that breaking ball. And if there's nobody on, you can attack them. Obviously, the mix of a curveball or his breaking ball and the fastball, but it's really just keeping him uncomfortable. And that's what you do against hot hitters. You got to throw up and in. And listen, if you hit him, you hit him. But you have to you have to be able to come up and in, move his feet, make him feel uncomfortable. Because anytime a guy is going good and you see him in the box and he's comfortable in the box, it really doesn't matter how you pitch to him. He can hurt you. So you have to make sure you really, really make him uncomfortable. JP, the trend with managers has been the younger former player getting hired to, to lead a team. This World Series is bucking that trend. Dusty Baker in his 70s has been around the block. Brian Snitker, I think almost 70, has been around the block, and he is a Braves organizational baseball man uh, who waited his turn, who worked his way through the minor league system. Um, both guys going for their first World Series – First World Series opportunity for Dusty Baker since he managed the Giants back in 2002 against the Angels. When you when you look at these two men that are leading these organizations, what do you think about this managerial matchup in this series? Well, first for Snick, I, I got to play against him, and he's a guy who, I mean, he 
definitely earned his opportunity in the big league level. I mean, how many years, 40 years with an organization and getting an opportunity. And then obviously Dusty Baker, what I love is experience. And you really don't understand how important experience is until you get to these kinds of situations, or you have teams that are at the cusp and what can really take you over, you know, the, the, the line, the finish line. And I think both of these guys, it's going to be fun to watch, right? Snick is obviously is a guy who has been able to be in the, in the uh, national league. And then you have a American league manager who obviously was in the uh, national league as well. And I think that's where guys get exposed a little bit in the playoffs, but not for dusty Baker because dusty Baker has that experience, right? You start to think about it. Unfortunately, guys that are all American league kind of managers that, that nationally, when you're playing at the national league park and you have to double switch and different things like that, you can get hurt, but it's going to be exciting to see, who goes to that bullpen first? And I think that's where the experience of the feel of the game is because as you've seen it, really the separated teams has been bullpens in this playoffs. We've talked, though, about how prescripted a lot of those moves are uh, when you're going to the bullpen being largely predetermined and not largely by the manager, but by, by the front office and the collective. If there are moves to be second-guessed in this series tonight and beyond – are we going to fairly be second-guessing a manager or should we be more fairly second-guessing an organization? Well, I mean, it, obviously the, the strategy comes from an organization. But when you have to pull the strings, is it do I pull it with two outs and I go and get that starter? Or am I looking at a matchup later in the day, later in the game, excuse me, that they've already prepared, hey – you know, this part of the lineup, we want to use this reliever. And so I think if it's the, now, if it's the starter, do we leave the starter and do we not, do we take them out? I think that's where you can really hone in on the manager because I think that decision is, is a field decision. But after that, when you're talking about bullpens and how they align and how they want the matchups to go, I think that's an organizational decision because there are, like I said, we know this, those are the meetings that are had before these series and, you know, there are going to be situations. I, I want to see Snit. I think Snit's going to have a tough time with a heavy right-handed lineup and their lefty relievers that have really been the guys, right? The Matzik, the Minter, and then obviously Will Smith. So how do you throw Luke Jackson there who's been struggling a little bit his last couple of games? So those are like the little decisions where I think are going to be a big, you know, opportunity to either talk about a manager being exposed or an organization being exposed. Let's go back to the Astros as a team for people to root against here. Um, you're not going to talk me out of it because it was an ALCS against against my team and 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 what they did came to light shortly thereafter with the garbage can signaling and the TVs. But in the context of the entire majors, how many other teams you feel like were operating some sort of system simultaneously and the, the Astros got unlucky that somebody talked and then they got caught. Yeah. What'd you guys do in Toronto, JP? Go ahead. And <laughs> yeah. What was your the, system? Was it a trash well, can or some other object you guys had banged well, to signal? I don't pitches? know if you remember, but in the, in Toronto, they accused us of the man in white, uh, giving signs, which oh, I yeah. actually Phil? Uh, had a, I had an interview and I was pretty adamant about saying, if there's a man in white standing in the crowd, in outfield and he's giving signs he ain't giving them to me because i'm hitting 220 so if he is <laughs> i'm pretty upset about him giving it to everybody else because i wasn't getting them but from what i've heard uh guys around the league 
that there were multiple teams that were doing this, right? Like I've told you guys before, and we've talked about it is you had a live feed coming from a video room, which was near the dugout. Most video rooms are near the dugout because after my at bat, you go in and you check, okay, what happened? And so I'm watching, I can go back and watch my at bat, but I'm watching live feed in the, in the video room. So you knew that at some point there was going to be something like that, that could happen and guys could take advantage of it, especially how close it is. And if you can see the signs now, you know, what's, what happens is, is you're seeing multiple signs with no one on base, which I think is crazy because that's how much you have to protect it. But I mean, it's there, the Astros are the ones that got caught. I would say, obviously I, I can't say definitely, but from my, what I've heard around the league, there are other teams that are doing it. JP, do you like the the two three two format that the postseason is now becoming instead of the two two or and then going back and forth for over the final three? I I think it gives the the team that's the quote unquote favorite or or the higher seed the the opportunity to to get more games and the travel is a tough part, right? When you're going back and forth, like when you have an East Coast West Coast, obviously you're you're more centralized in this series. Uh, with just two time zones, but I think it makes it tougher, you know, if you have two people on the on different sides of the country to go back and forth after one game. I actually do like it. I think it's fun. Uh, and then as a, as a fans, you get to have, you know, three games um, in one park and obviously four in the other, but you can break it up. It's just, I think they did a good job with it. And, and I like it just because I know the travel's tough and time zones and all that stuff. And, and obviously not in the series, but you know, it can be a detrimental part uh, if it was if it was like back and forth. Psychological strategy question for you. You mentioned Luke Jackson earlier in his struggles. Gives up the three-run homer to Bellinger. Comes back, gives up a run, and runners on second and third with no one out. Tyler Matzik comes in for the Braves, shuts them down, moves on. I'm watching Luke Jackson in the dugout Saturday night. He's a guy who was physically and emotionally shaken uh, at that point. That he was he was uh, beside himself after the two failures in the postseason back-to-back. I know Brian Snicker is a guy who wants to go back to his guys no matter what and give them another opportunity. Do you do that in this circumstance, given the last two times he's taken them out? 100%. You have to. Because if you don't have a Luke Jackson, I don't see – I mean, I'm not saying that he's the, the, the all-mean-all for this team, but if you don't have a Luke Jackson, you're not going to – probably be winning this world series you're gonna to have to use them like i said it's a it's a heavy right-handed hitting lineup and luke jackson has been great for you all year so now when you had two outings which i love that snit put him right back in after that bellinger home run in a high leverage situation but in that situation where he was got hit around again they had to go to matzik because that was just the game was calling for it right but I think in this seven-game series, you have to figure out a way to get him. And it's not just get him and get him a – it's five to zero and get him a – try to get him a clean inning or you're losing and try to get – hopefully he stays in the role that he's been all year. And you have to have that kind of confidence with somebody. And I know that you can – at some point, if it costs them, you can be questioning it. But again, you have a big-time right-handed pitcher out of that bullpen with a very, very right-handed dominant lineup you're going to have to use him, and he's going to have to give you big outs. So you you have to be able to stick with him. And I'm sure Snit experience when we talk about that and his demeanor, that's somewhere you sit down with Lou Jackson and you talk to him and say, I still believe in you. You're still my guy because, like I said, you're, you're right on. I mean, you could see him. He was scratching at his head. There was a lot of different things that you can kind of tell that 
it was emotionally not a good situation for him, but you need to be able to use him. FanDuel and, and Vegas tells us that this is going to be a long series. Do you agree? Yeah, I think this is going to be a, a long series. I, I mean, this is – you look at the Astros, they went back and forth with Boston. You, you see Atlanta, they go back and forth a little bit with the Dodgers. But it, it's a good matchup. I mean, it's fun. It's, it's going to be fun because the first two games you have starters who can actually – you know, go deep in the games, but bullpens that are good bullpens. The Astros have a great bullpen and so do the Braves. So the other thing too, that I think is crazy is, is throughout this series, uh, the playoffs, both teams, there's only been one loss when they haven't scored first. So the Braves have won every game that they've won that they scored first. And so have the Houston Astros, but the Braves have lost one game where they scored first. The Astros have won all of them. So at the end of the day, let's be honest, whoever sets the tone early I think is going to really uh, pay some big dividends, but it'll be a fun back and forth fight. And, you know, I'm, I'm hoping for a good series. JP Aaron Sibia has been our guest uh, via Zoom today and in studio tomorrow. Looking forward to recapping game one, previewing game two, and much more with you tomorrow. JP, always great, man. Great to have you on the show. We appreciate you. Thank you. You got it. See you guys tomorrow. JP Aaron Sibia here uh, with us tomorrow at 6th and right, What I just heard is a big top of the first tonight for the Braves from JP Aaron The Bravos Sibia. need it. Set the tone early. Big top of the first. Get to You're work. not buying the Braves tonight, though. I, I just don't know what to buy right now. I, I really need to see these two teams play. Um, I, I could point to any number of uh, I'm feel, advantages. I'm, I, I think Atlanta comes out hitting well tonight. I don't – I just – I Based on right. what, what I've seen recently from them, um, and Rosario, I don't think Rosario cools off. This is every not, time he, he he's in the box. I think he's he's doing something special. This is not your daddy's <laughs> choke heavy Braves group. Yeah. that I've seen so give far. Them time. Teams that just Braves, even in the last this last iteration of the Braves, where they've had really good offense and they can hit. Yeah. forget how to hit in the postseason. And that's not been the case so far this postseason. I, I like the Braves. We'll see what happens. Is Deshaun Watson going to be a Dolphin, a Panther, or is another team involved? I, we'll ask John McClain. Uh, John reported last week that the Dolphins wanted to get a deal done last week with Houston. That didn't happen. And now we're one week away from the NFL trade deadline. The Panthers are reportedly involved now and have been for a little bit after they've seen Sam Darnold play the last couple of weeks. What's next in, in this saga? We'll, we'll discuss that with John McClain. Plus, uh, it's more than just trades. We'll talk NFL football from Week 7 and preview a bit of Week 8. John McClain next on Outkick 360. First, though, Aurora NutriScience. Excited to partner with them. They help keep Outkick 360 sharp and healthy mentally. And Aurora delivers supplements for you where you need them the most. Your body. You're seeing VitaLifeScience.com. You can visit that on your phone, on your mobile device, on your laptop, computer right now at work. VitaLifeScience.com. V-I-D-A LifeScience.com. 15% discount with the code OUTKICK360. Here's Aurora. Unique cutting-edge nutritional and absorbable supplements encapsulated in liposomes that ensure greater absorption in the body's bloodstream. I use Aurora's vitamin C, vitamin D3, glutathione, uh, and they come in easy grab-and-go packs, uh, plus the bottles that you see on the screen now at VitalLifeScience.com. Aurora supplements also help you if you're a weekend warrior, if you take medication for high cholesterol, 
curcumin. If you want the endless benefits from that, uh, it's available for you with Aurora. VitalifeScience.com for more information. 15% off with the code OUTKICK360. 15% off with the code OUTKICK360 at VitalifeScience.com. So Deshaun Watson is going to be on the move. The question is when John McClain had the report last week that the Dolphins wanted to work out a deal last week. Well, now trade talks heating up even more with the deadline coming up a week from today. John McClain joins us live on Outkick 360. John, uh, before we get to the trade, tell us about the scene in Houston. World Series Game 1 coming up tonight against against Chad's Braves. Your Astros against Chad's Braves. Fight them. You can imagine what the buzz is here. Fans are pumped. Fans, uh, you know, feel like the Astros have been the villains for years, even though there's only four players in this series who were part of the 2017 World Series champion, the starting pitcher for the Braves. Charlie Morton was a key part of that. Won the decisive game. You don't hear people yelling, cheater at Charlie, and you never will. They will tonight. Got out. That's, Got out. It's, it's a, uh, the good guys versus the bad guys. The uh, Astros, especially Carlos Correa, they have eaten that up and turned it into a positive this season. And if the Braves fans are cheering cheaters, that I'm, that would be so much better than hearing that Braves chant over and <laughs> over and over. See, I, I think I think Astros fans should chant that at Morton tonight. No, he's too respected. Charlie <laughs> Morton did a great job here in 2017 and 18 when they cheated. Uh, 17 in the series, 18 in regular season. All those former players who are all with other teams, everybody loves them. And Carlos Correa goes to the Yankees or the Dodgers, wherever he goes, they'll love him too. I won't love him. Well, that's right, John. Charlie Morton's a good, yeah, good right, man, unlike those dirty, dirty Astros. Give me He's a, a great break. man. I didn't like Johnny Damon. Such I didn't like guy. I didn't like Roger Clemens. I won't like Correa. John, um, there you <laughs> yes, you will. <laughs> There are guys that you brought over that you hated, that you – Garrett Cole? I didn't like the Red Sox. What about Garrett Cole? Oh, you love Garrett Cole. Garrett Cole, I loved him when he was throwing with the sticky stuff. Okay. What about Garrett Cole, the Astro? You hated him. I, I liked him, the Pirate. Yeah. <laughs> Unbelievable. Hated him. John, you're, uh, tell us, uh, Deshaun Watson, uh, Dolphins, Panthers, is there another team that could surface as being involved in this trade, or is it one of those two franchises that's involved with talks with Houston? First of all, he's got a no-trade clause. He's invoked that no-trade clause with the Eagles. When I see media putting it out there, the Eagles are a possibility. They're not a possibility. He told them he wouldn't go there. He's told them other places he wouldn't go. The only one he said he will go to is Miami. Now, I just looked it up because I'm writing about this for tomorrow. Uh, Charlotte is about 200 miles from his hometown in Gainesville, Georgia. That's where his mama is and all of his family. So maybe he'd want to go to Charlotte and help them get a new stadium built there. Dave Tepper, the owner, wants a new stadium. And if he had a great quarterback like Watson, they're not going anywhere this year. But it might help him get one in the next couple of years. But Watson would have to approve it. Now, last week, I wrote they wanted to get a deal done by the end of the week. If not, it could go to the trade deadline. The problem is Stephen Ross, the owner, he wants it, and he signed off on it. They've got the compensation. That includes at least three number one picks over the next two years. But Ross wants the legal issues to be resolved. And there's only one way to do that before the deadline 
on November 2nd at 3 p.m. Central, and that's if he reaches settlement. And I haven't heard anything that uh, there's any settlements coming, but deadlines tend to initiate action, so we'll see. Isn't he overplaying his hand to turn down trades to places where he could go and be on the field and conceivably, uh, you know, begin to make people forget about why he's in the headlines and return to football? I mean, this guy's going to now be choosy. Well, he gets $10 million either way. Uh, yeah, I know, but that beyond this year, I mean, he can, he can restart his life if he said yes to Philadelphia. If he just said yes to Miami last week and resolved and, and, and reached settlements, he could have been playing against the Texans on November 7th in Miami. But Seems. he hasn't done that yet. Maybe he will. The Dolphins are terrible. Uh, the Panthers have lost four in a row. Uh, I don't know if he'll approve a trade to the Panthers, but so far he has not approved a trade to anywhere but Miami. And if they don't do it by the deadline, then it's a dead issue until the league year starts in March, and then it would probably go right up until the draft. Seems quite casual. Do you, do you think it's actually feasible that he could wrap up 22 uh, suits or, or all these things hanging over his head within the next week? And if you were on the other side of this, John, would you take him on, or, or would you think it's just too much and wait and go get the next guy, Chase Rogers, make a move to the top of the draft, whatever? All I know is you've got – a quarterback who's 26 coming off the best season he's had in every statistic. He works out like crazy every day. He's been working out since the off season when he issued his trade demand before the lawsuit started piling up. One thing I, I know is a few weeks ago, his attorney, Rusty Harden said they'd be happy to settle, but he wanted the agreement disclosed. And usually the defendant does not want it disclosed and uh, the Tony Busby represents the plaintiffs. He said, no, it would not be disclosed. That made me think back then, maybe they have a sum already reached, but they're waiting on Watson to approve it. So I don't really know. Everything's been very quiet on the legal front. I do know this. People are worried about Roger Goodell putting him on the exempt list. He's not going to put him on the exempt list. He's going to do that. He would already done it. All that does is allow him to get paid and go do what he wants away from football. And now, would he be suspended under the personal conduct policy? They've had plenty of time to investigate this, including talking to a lot of the plaintiffs. I think an owner like Stephen Ross, David Tepper, could call Roger Goodell because Goodell works for them. They don't work for him and say, okay, what are your plans? And get a pretty good idea of what the commissioner thinks. Troy Vincent, the executive VP of football operations, told the media at the league meetings in New York today, that would be up to Roger Goodell. He said, I can't say. It's up to the commissioner. So I think the owners can find out what Goodell's got planned, whether it's two games, four games, whatever the suspension is, if he suspends him at all. And uh, that would be, of course, appealed. John, you mentioned that Gainesville, Georgia, Watson's hometown, 200 miles from Charlotte. Are there any other reasons besides geography, location, that it's it's okay with 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 the Panthers and the Dolphins. Are there football reasons for this, or do you have any any idea why those are okay, but other teams are unacceptable? No idea. And what, if you look at the football, Chad, like the Dolphins are terrible. They got the same thing going on as the Texans, one in six 
six-game losing streaks. Now, I know they added some players, including receiver like Will Fuller, uh, Watson's close friend and one of his favorite targets, uh, along with DeAndre Hopkins when he was here. And maybe it's because of that. Maybe because they're all fired up about the Panthers over there with Matt Rule, even though they haven't done squat now uh, for a while. And I so I don't know because he hasn't talked. To, Watson has not talked in public, has not spoken publicly since the day after the 2020 season. So the league's chief medical guy, Dr. Alan Sills, uh, told reporters at, at the owners' meetings that just started that on-field injuries. Uh, right now, soft tissue injuries are significantly up, setting a new five-year high. Uh, Albert Breer says coaches have mentioned this in relation to practice time in the spring and summer being cut. I don't know if it's so simple, but but if that is the, the line that's to be drawn, do players care? I've talked to four ex-players that think those soft tissue injuries are up because they don't practice enough. They talked about how they had broken bones all the time, but they didn't have the soft tissue injury because they had to work out and do what the teams wanted them to do in the offseason, in training camp, preseason, everything, because they had to work longer and it was harder. But they think ultimately, looking back, it was better for them for hamstring injury, growing injury, calf injuries like that. Of course, the players are never going to work out more if they can they'll get Demar Smith to negotiate a deal where they have to work out less. John McClain with us, TexasSportsNation.com, Houston Chronicle. Bigger statement on Sunday. The Chargers, uh, not the Chargers, excuse me, the Bengals on the road against Baltimore after Baltimore took down the Chargers easily. The, the Bengals blow them out at home. Or what the Titans did to Kansas City 27-3, the final here at Nissan Stadium. No, there's no question what the Bengals did at Baltimore. You know, the Titans, what they did, the Chiefs, Chiefs are having all kinds of problems on offense right now. So that didn't surprise me at all, especially since I picked the Titans to be a legitimate Super Bowl contender. But I had the Bengals in last place undergoing another rebuilding year. And to go in and beat the Ravens by more than 20 points, that may be the biggest upset of the season. Bengals are the biggest good surprise of the season. And the worst surprise, not the Chiefs, because I still think – They'll bounce back. To me, the worst surprise is Miami. Ten wins last season. Thought they were going to compete for the playoffs, and they've been uh, awful. The Chiefs have a point differential right now after eight weeks, or seven weeks, excuse me, going into week eight. Minus 15 is their point differential, which is crazy to think about given their offense, and that also says how bad at times the offense has been with turnovers and how bad their defense is uh, altogether. But you say you do expect them to turn things around. Is that because of the magic of Mahomes and and with what Andy Reid is capable of? Absolutely. They've had some injuries. Not sure about the defense, but I think at some point Mahomes is going to get it together and not keep throwing interceptions, turning the ball over. But right now, uh, it's weird to look at them and see where they are in the AFC West because nobody would have thunk it. But I just can't imagine when the season's over, that's where they're going to be. I think they got a better chance to finish first than they do worst in AFC West. John, the Titans have a great opportunity uh, uh, to go in this little stretch right here with a win on the road against the Colts than to sweep the season series. Colts have gotten better. Are they legit? Are you seeing the Colts now as a legit threat to the Titans in the AFC South? 
or is this just more of the same with the Titans so far in this in this run? Well, the Colts have beaten Miami, and the Colts have beaten Houston. So those two teams right now are 2-12. and 12. And so in this game... 49ers you know, also, bad. who's not very good as well. Yeah, they're 2-4, and four, so they've beaten bad teams. This is a much better barometer. And I'll tell you the best thing about the Titans game. Wasn't Derrick Henry's option pass. Wasn't Ryan Tannehill look like he was going over a hurdle in the Olympics. The best thing about the Titans game was the defense. Because everybody's been worried about that defense for, what, three years? And they just totally smothered Patrick Mahomes, the running game. Look at the average per catch for Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill. I wonder if there's ever been a game when both of them averaged fewer than 10 yards per catch. The defense did a tremendous job. Now, Carson Wentz has one interception this season. He's throwing two touchdown passes every game. He ran for one Sunday. He's playing very, very well. Jonathan Taylor has back-to-back 100-yard games. So I expect Tennessee to win this game because, as you guys know, the Titans' problem beating the Colts is not in Indianapolis. It's in Nashville. John, did Mike Mike Tomlin set the new standard for how to deny interest in a job? He said no booster could write a big enough check and never say never but never when asked about this rumor about him potentially surfacing at USC. I am not going to Alabama, <laughs> but I'll tell you what, Nick, you know, Nick Saban, I could see that one, but Tom has never been head coach in college and he does have one of the best jobs. He's got the most patient owners in sports and he's not going anywhere anytime soon. So I don't think you'd see Mike Tomlin in college. A lot of guys that have been in the NFL get spoiled. They don't have to worry about rules like they do in recruiting. They don't have to worry about boosters who give $500 million telling them what to do. So I do not think Mike Tomlin is leaving Pittsburgh. What was it like seeing J.J. Watt and Deshaun, or DeAndre Hopkins excuse me, suit up for the Arizona Cardinals this past Sunday as someone who has covered their entire career? It's kind of weird because it's almost like they were in the Pro Bowl and they we got different uniforms in the Pro Bowl. I had seen Hop enough on TV to get used to him and on the websites, but what? Uh, no, that that just looks strange, totally strange. And there's a lot of Texans players because they're all they're all being traded or cut and going with other teams that I'm going to be watching for other teams. Whitney Merciless asked for his release last week, got it, went to Green Bay. Now he's a Super Bowl contender on a team with a six-game winning streak and trade-down headlines coming up. They got other players here that could be traded. Zach Cunningham, Lonnie Johnson, uh, Jordan Akins, Charles Menehu, and those guys right now, they're going, please, please, (laughs) please trade me. And just in time for Terod Taylor to come back and and get, get back at quarterback. Is he returning this week? Yeah, I expect him to be back. Uh, they need Davis Poor Mills guy. now. He's had five starts. He goes to the bench. He can watch from a different vantage point because when he was watching from the bench before, he didn't know what he didn't know. Now he does. And sometime after oh, four or five games, I'm guessing in December, we'll see Mills back in there for the last four to six games. Unless Taylor gets hurt again, then he'll play immediately. But it's Davis Mills' misfortune last week. He had gone against one, two, three, and ten defenses. Ten, four of the top ten, including the top three. He didn't play against Jacksonville. So I think Tyrod Taylor wouldn't have helped him win any of these blowouts on the road, but they might have scored a touchdown or two. 
John, um, I was doing some reading last night, and uh, it's not the halfway point yet, but I, I'm still shocked by this. I, it will never be the halfway right. point. Well, Jonathan. well half, it will be at halftime half time of week yeah. eight. It will be the halfway point of the season. That's when people should put out their midseason reports, um, by the way. Let me get your thoughts on this, though. That's a great idea, Paul. I'm going to do that. We're, we, are getting, we are getting into week eight, and Chase Young has fewer sacks than Washington has wins. They are, they are two and five. He has a sack and a half on the season. What, what is going on with their defense, and where did Chase Young go? That was a defense that they thought would be their hallmark, and they would struggle on offense. And they needed a quarterback. And Chase Young, maybe it's a sophomore slump. You know, you can't do the things you did every year. You have to evolve because the defensive coordinators see it and they're going to have a plan for you. And it looks to me like he hasn't evolved in his second season or he's bothered by some kind of injury or maybe he's just lost interest because his team's so bad. John McClain, you can follow him on Twitter at McClain underscore on underscore NFL. Great work. He's covered the, the NFL for more than four decades. He joins us weekly here on Outkick 360. John, thank you as always. Uh, and well, we look forward to talking more football with you next week. Go Braves. Go Astros. Thank you, guys. <laughs> Love you, John. John McClain with us. Love having him on. Go bang uh, some trash again, cans. Go, go follow him on, uh, on Twitter, uh, especially on game day. Oh. Amusing uh, during uh, during the Texans. Do we feel like he's tamped down because he's, oh, no. there's so much losing? Oh no, 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 no. no. <laughs> they scored five uh, points this past week. John hasn't tamped down since he nice was once in a band. Up. He was going going hard then, and he's going hard now. I just it's hard to keep up the energy when you're losing that much, watching that many losses. John always brings the honesty. So did Trent Dilfer this past this week on Outkick the Tailgate. Uh, what he had to say about Clemson's development at quarterback. Go, including Trevor Lawrence. Wait until you hear how Trent Dilford describes how quarterbacks go to Clemson and actually get worse. That's next on Outkick 360. Tennessee Power Hour just around the corner. A lot of uh, Titans and Vols discussion. Outkick 360 rolls on from 6th and Peabody, downtown Nashville with Yeehaw Beer, Old Smoky Moonshine. It was the uh, site of Saturday's Outkick the Tailgate. We were here, jam-packed guest list. You can find the show online. Just search out uh, Outkick the Tailgate on YouTube. One of our guests was Lipscomb Academy head coach, former NFL quarterback and ESPN analyst Trent Dilfer. And uh, we, we got into a variety of topics. One of those was quarterback development, where he says it doesn't always correlate to great coaching from high school to the college level. And Chad then asked this follow-up question. Is there a specific example that you think of when, you, when you talk about this right names. now? I don't want that to you, That you, see, you saw a player at Elite <laughs> 11 and say, man, I wish you would have gone somewhere what, What's different. going on with DJ right now at Clemson? Um, that's probably the most egregious thing I've seen. And I love Dabo, and, and I'll probably get a phone call. Um, DJ's gotten worse. And that, that was DJ a shock. Got, but that was shocking when you go from Trevor Lawrence to him and you're thinking you're going to keep well, it right on going, right? Trevor got worse mechanically. Trevor has completely changed from the time he left Clemson to what he is now in Jacksonville. Completely re, retooling. Now he's so... For the better? Oh, in yeah. Jacksonville? Yes, much better. He's, he's so talented and they were rolling so much that he got away with being sloppy. He'd be the first to tell you. Get Trevor on the show. Say, what? as you went... 
to the pre-draft process and you looked at yourself at Clemson and now you see yourself now, what are the differences? You go, oh my gosh, it's night and day. He's like, I had no idea this is what was happening to me. So, and it's, again, I don't want, I don't even know who the quarterback coach is at Clemson. I couldn't tell you his name. It's not his job, right? But colleges need to do a better job of understanding it's a craft. There's Trent Dilfer from Saturday's Outkick, the tailgate. Paul, this is the first time you've heard that. Yeah, we'll just get Trevor on the show. He'll clarify it right up. Trent, Trent, uh, really give us a lot of credit for our power. I mean, that is some strong stuff. Good job by you guys. And Chad, good job with the follow-up question there that got him going on to Trevor Lawrence. I mean, this is not just a high school coach, obviously, coming out. This is a guy who's worked with talented, talented high school kids that gives him the basis for what he's saying and who's won a Super Bowl. And then a value, you know, so played with Hall of Famers, understands what NFL quarterback people are asking NFL quarterbacks to do, and then evaluated quarterbacks as a top flight analyst at ESPN for years. Runs the most popular quarterback camp of the offseason. Yeah, he's got absolutely the resume to say what he said. A lot of people are going to say Trent Dilfer was a failed NFL quarterback and dismiss his credence to say that. He's got the platform absolutely to say that. Well, he knows DJ, too, the quarterback at Clemson, because he worked with him at Elite 11. So when he's saying that, he's coming from a reference point of having worked with the Clemson quarterback in high school and working with all these, these top quarterbacks. That's why I was fascinated to get his answer because he started going down that path of not every college program is equipped to fully teach the totality of the quarterback position. And I was surprised to hear that Clemson, you know, one of the best football programs in the country currently, uh, is one that does a poor job with it. And then you see the drop-off offensively from Trevor Lawrence uh, to DJ now as the quarterback. But not, not just that, him saying Trevor Lawrence got worse – he Tre- said I, Trevor was also an Elite 11 quarterback. Well, and he yeah. said, I don't know uh, who the quarterback coach is. It's Brandon Streeter. I went and looked this up immediately after the show because I didn't know either. He's been there since 2014. He's a former Clemson quarterback. Um, but that is quite the indictment on Brandon Streeter and Tony Elliott, who had a lot of opportunities to leave Clemson this offseason. Tennessee went after him. Some others interviewed him for head coaching jobs, and maybe he wants to take over for Dabo Sweeney one day. I don't know. Uh, but this is not the hottest time for Tony Elliott, offensive coordinator at Clemson, given that they're the biggest disappointment in college football. What I want to know is where are the three places Trent Dilfer would be advising elite 11 guys if they asked him to go where the, where the process goes in the opposite direction and you're getting better footwork every year and you're more and more prepared to walk into a Jacksonville situation and be prepared to take on what they're adding instead of them having to reconstruct your footwork after you got worse during college and 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 were good anyway instead of despite some some deficiencies in your game that got worse during your time there. That would be my next question for Dilfer uh, and what he's telling these kids who probably some well, of which want his advice. You can go and watch the full interview, Paul, and he's going to tell you Alex Golish is one of those uh, coaches that uh, he really respects. He's the offensive coordinator for the University of Tennessee currently. Um, and well, another example would be, would be Lane Kiffin, uh, who yep. he gave a shout-out to on the show on Saturday. Uh, there, there are plenty of examples, and I, I forgot what really got him going down that path, Chad of discussing uh, quarterback development and how sometimes it's not always on the kid that he coaches in the lead 11 that goes on to the quarterback level. Uh, but it, he, was, he was discussing how th- this is not just a Clemson issue. 
this is a college football coaching issue for that position and the well, development for the next level. Here's what I, who I was thinking of the whole time I asked the question was Jarrett Garantano, who was an Elite 11 quarterback who he loved. Yeah. So in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, I asked a two-part question on who was a guy that you were certain was going to be great that no one believed in that left your camp and went on and did big things and you believed in him to begin with and not many coaches did. And who's the opposite end of that? A guy who went somewhere who you knew had the, the, the tools to do it, but yeah. got to a school and they weren't harnessed the right way and he immediately uh, went to Clemson with that. Also interesting, his answer on, uh, he was talking about Clark Lee at Vanderbilt and Josh Heupel at Tennessee and said, they're both selling the same thing. It's all about culture. It's all about fit. It's all about family. With a, it's, it's a very similar message from both programs, which I found interesting. UT should use that in recruiting, but who's thinking Trevor Lawrence was bad when he's the number one pick? Didn't look like a problem. Oh, no. No, but uh, it's, it's an interesting, interesting. take very interesting. from Dilfer, who saw him in high school. We talk Tennessee sports next on OutKick 360.